Welcome to Hope Church. If you're visiting today, we're thrilled that you're here, delighted that you're with us. We gather as a church because we love Jesus and he's changed our lives. He's taken us from our wretched state and loved us in our wretched state to the point of giving us hope and freedom, a future, and one another to do life with. And, and we have his word, which is described as a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. If you're someone who says, you know what, I could do with a sense of direction, a sense of purpose. I could do with a light. I feel like life is dark often. Then you've come to a good place today. Because we believe that there is great hope. We're called Hope Church. Because you want this world which lacks hope. We want people to know hope. And that hope is found in a person. And the Bible reveals that wonderful person to us, Jesus Christ. Do you know today you can know God? You can know God. You can know your creator. You can know your creator. Wow. And know that your creator loves you is for you and has done everything, everything needed, everything needed for you to have a relationship with him. Hallelujah. Today, we are starting a four-week series in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bible, if you can turn to Ecclesiastes, which is literally right in the middle of the Bible, just before the Songs of Solomon, Right in the middle of the Bible, so if you can say that. The, the text will be on the screen, so don't worry if you haven't got a Bible, but if you have it, please turn to Ecclesiastes. Someone described Ecclesiastes like this. Ecclesiastes is the only book in the Bible written on a Monday morning. <laughs> if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, and the chuckles this morning would indicate some of you do, you might think it's clever to say to me, Tim, what's the point? What's the point of reading Ecclesiastes, of a series in Ecclesiastes? And Steve Chick is your man to speak to. <laughs> Last week I was out with the youth, and uh, they're in today. It's great to have the, the youth in with us today. Last week we were doing a study in Acts 25, and before we read from the Bible, Becca asked each of the, the, the young people in the group uh, to name their favorite chocolate bar. So we went around the room and the usual suspects were mentioned, dairy milk, crunchy, whisper. Someone said uh, chocolate orange. Someone said bounty. What? I mean, that's what? Bounty is sticks in your teeth. It's awful. Someone like bounty. And then we got to this, this, one, this one girl, <laughs> it was brilliant, and she said, who cares? <laughs> We're like, what? She literally said, who cares? She said, it all ends up in the same place. <laughs> who cares? And you know what I thought as I sat there? I thought to myself, and there is my introduction to Ecclesiastes <laughs> this morning. Who cares? So we're going to read a big chunk of scripture. 
And just to warn you, we're going to try and be faithful to what the teacher or the philosopher or the preacher, as he's referred to in this book, going to try and be faithful to the journey he's taking us on, which means this is going to feel a lot like quite a bleak sermon initially, okay? There's your warning and your disclaimer. It's going to feel a little bit like that. But there's hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And we're going to do an overview, in a sense, of Ecclesiastes today. And there's a great reason for persevering through this with me. So keep keep with me through this um, today, I, I ask you, please. Thank you. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher... Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises And the sun sets, panting, it returns to the place where it rises, gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full, to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before, and of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who are over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. 
Verse 10. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Verse 17, therefore I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Verse 18, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. Shall we pray? (laughs) Father in heaven, these words, gloomy, bleak, depressing, are God-inspired. And we need to hear these words today because so many of us are wasting our lives trying to find answers to questions on earth that can only be found in heaven. And some of us have come here today and we feel desperate and we have no hope and we resonate with these bleak depressing words and I thank you Lord Jesus that you're here to bring truth and to shine light into dark cavernous hollow empty places and to reveal to us that life's meaning is found through the life-giving free liberal wonderful relationship with God that Jesus you died and suffered for us to have. So I pray, Lord, let no one leave this building today. Lord, let no one leave this building today trying to find answers to questions that only you can answer in things of this world. All under heaven, all under the sun is futile. But life in the sun is glorious. I pray, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to see you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. This, uh, this book is in the wisdom literature. There are several books in the Bible categorized by wisdom literature that include Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. And they, they are dealing with Essentially the same question, why do we live and exist? Why do we breathe? Why is there something and not nothing? Trying to find wisdom. This book is quite unique in that it, it really is written, as it were, to speak to the agnostic 
or the person who doesn't yet have faith, perhaps. It speaks to the humanist, the person who's trying to find my fulfillment in life in material things. It speaks to the hedonist, the person who's living for pleasure. My life is fulfilled as I experience as many pleasures and thrills as I can. It speaks to the ambitious, trying to achieve, trying to become something, trying to excel in something. And it asks this gnawing question. Are you sure? Are you sure that's really what life is all about? Are you sure? Are you sure that's really what life is all about? Ecclesiastes is not an A to Z of answers to questions. It's a book of questions. If you're abroad and you're trying to figure out how to put a sentence together, I was in France last week, and you're trying to figure out how to say, for example, yes, you heard me correctly, I'd like another five croissants, please. I can go to a French vocab and a French dictionary and try and figure it out. Ecclesiastes won't do that for you. But if you're willing, what Ecclesiastes will do is it will lead you to ask questions of everything you've understood life to be about and it will say to you, are you sure? Now many people will just avoid thinking about that question. Many people will fill their lives up with busyness or try and saturate their minds and their lives with other things to avoid having to ask this question. What is there to be gained under the sun? What really is there to be gained? How profitable really is your life? How much are you able to tell me, for example, about your great, 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 great granddad? Do you even know their name? Are they remembered? Will your life be remembered? Will your achievements be remembered? What's the thing that you're most proud of? Will it be remembered? Are you living to make a name for yourself? Many will try and avoid these questions by filling up the diary, by working really hard. I just got to focus. And yet there comes a moment, a reflective moment maybe, as, you, as your head hits the pillow. Maybe in the back of your mind that question comes. What is it all about? Why am I living my life like this? It's a book of questions. It's a book of nagging questions. The first issue that is addressed is the futility of our labor. The futility of our labor, of our work. Verse 3, what does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? And in chapter 2, verse 17, I hated my life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile, a pursuit of the wind. King Solomon is the king in question in this book. King Solomon, 
the greatest king in many regards in terms of how the world would measure a great kingdom. We're going to look at it in a moment. He started his life really well. He started as a young king. And it says of him that he loved the Lord. He loved God. He started as a man of faith. And he was even caught up in a vision, in a dream before God, when God said, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder how would you answer that question? If God right now spoke to you and said, what's the one thing you want me to do for you? What do you answer? He could have said wealth, power, fame, celebrity. And yet Solomon said, in effect, I'm overwhelmed by the task of leading your people. I want to do it really well. Please give me wisdom. It showed his dependency upon God. It showed his humility. It, it, it recognized in him that he was inadequate for the task ahead of him. Does anyone else feel a little bit like that? I do. I feel inadequate, ill-qualified. Humility, I need you. And yet over time, Solomon grew very wealthy. He had many wives, as we will see. He possessed great armies. He started out looking to Christ. It wasn't long before he was looking to his wealth. It wasn't long before his eyes dropped to that which is under the sun, not above it, under the sun. And Ecclesiastes is a reflection of his life, as it were, as he comes to the end of his life. And I envisage an elderly man in his rocking chair, gray-haired, shaking his head. In defense of a life lived in the fear of the Lord. An old sage, desperate that the coming generation would not repeat the same mistakes that he made looking back on it all and thinking, what was the point? Why did I sweat, stay up late, get up early? What was the point? During my biochemistry degree, I spent a year working at a medical toxicology unit in London. That job entailed me analyzing every day hundreds of urine samples you would not believe the different colors the human body is able to produce. I'm, not, I'm just saying, it's gross, right? I did that for a year. Do you think there were a few times when I asked the question, what's the point? And then tragically, of some of the samples that I was testing for drugs were two kids that I went to school with who'd become addicts. These kids were great, fun, talented, bright, capable. We sat under the same teachers, the same subjects. No doubt they had parents that tried hard, tried to love them and help them. And here I am. What's the point? What was the point of the teacher's hard work and labor? What did it achieve? Tragic. 
just to give Tim Blaber a, a smelly job for a year. Is that the point? Do you ever ask those questions about your work? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting money in that guy's pockets? When you've got a boss who doesn't treat you fairly, maybe, or one who's an egomaniac, or one who has a craving for power, do you, have you ever felt the futility of your work? Have you ever sown seed into a field only for a drought to come and destroy the whole crop? Do you know what it's like to cut and to gather in a destroyed crop and you're looking at hours and hours of your labor and you're thinking, futility, chasing after the wind. What is it all about? What has been the point? You study for your exams. You get stressed. You're up at night. You're biting your fingernails. What's the point? Why am I doing this? What's it, what's it all about? The futility of our labor. Some of you will be sat here thinking, I don't know why I bothered even coming to church this morning. Most, world's most depressing sermon. Wish I'd stayed in bed. Let me encourage you. It's about to get a lot worse. <laughs> Let's think about the futility of knowledge. As knowledge increases, grief increases. With much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. I read the news in the morning and I'm depressed. I increase my knowledge of what's happening in the world. It doesn't make me happy. I gain knowledge and insight. We have scientists in labs discovering the latest variation of COVID. Worse than the last one. Fantastic. We hear news reports of a new strain of bird flu in Cambodia. We need to work hard to protect ourselves. Knowledge increases. So does grief. What's it all about? We had a, someone with us yesterday as a family who told us that their family members have become so stressed out by the state of the economy that they have transferred their savings into gold and buried it in their garden. Their knowledge has increased. Their grief has increased. Their anxiety has increased. This week I was reminded of a book I read a while ago. I recommended a couple of weeks ago Heaven by Randy Alcorn. He's also written a book called Happiness. Wonderful book. In which this is written. The American Journal of Medical Genetics documents the results of a remarkable study of a particular people group that is not generally char characterized by worry. 
Among those surveyed, nearly 99% indicated that they were happy with their lives. 97% liked who they are, and 96% liked how they look. Nearly 99% expressed love for their families, and 97% liked their brothers and sisters. Who are these extraordinary people? The answer is those with Down syndrome. A slew of recent studies has shown that people with Down syndrome report happier lives than us normal folk, even happier than rich, good-looking, and intelligent people. How many Down syndrome babies are aborted? The most content, upbeat person I know is my brother who has Down syndrome, which is why it's emotional (laughs) for me to read that out. With increased knowledge comes grief, the teacher says. Futility. Let's think about the futility of hedonism, of pleasure-seeking. I said to myself, go ahead and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure For I took pleasure in all my struggles. It was futile, a pursuit of the wind. 1 Kings 10.21 says this, All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all of the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. 1 Kings 11.3 it says, He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. This man didn't know when to stop. He needed more and more and more and more. Now, you know you've got a problem when you have to hire out a football stadium in order to accommodate all your wives on Valentine's evening, right? You're going to the checkout with a trolley full of Valentine's cards and that's spilling over. You've got a problem. 700 wives, 300 concubines. He gathered, he gathered, he gathered. Nothing was able to quench his thirst and his lust for power, for wealth. Nothing could scratch that itch. He'd taken his eyes off the only one Who could? He looked under the sun and nothing could do it for him. Nothing came close. The pursuit of pleasure under the sun is futile. What is it for you? Maybe it's the thrill of an achievement. Maybe it's man's approval. Maybe you're an an approval addict. Is it gambling, porn, alcohol, drugs? Maybe something that started off as a healthy craving became something that overwhelmed you. 
before you realized it, it wasn't just one drink. It was five. It wasn't just a glass of wine in an evening. It was a glass of wine every day. Every, a bottle of wine every day. I have a friend of mine who spends a lot of time working with people who, are, who have the greatest struggles in life. And I've said to my friend, I said, can you just let me know? I, I want to pray for some of these people. Would you mind just e- emailing me with just how these, how these guys are doing? I want to pray. I would love to pray for them. And I want to encourage you in what you're doing. He recently said to me that he's meeting with this, with this guy now. And his life has become so hard. And his alcoholism has become so great. He needs a strong drink every half hour just to get through. You don't drink like that from day one. And don't think, oh, these are the issues out there in somewhere like London. No, this is on our doorstep. This is in our church. This is what happens when, when, when we look to fill those cravings with things under the sun that never satisfy us. C.S. Lewis has written so many wonderful books But in his book, The Four Loves, he describes how this process can happen. He says this, We may give our human loves, that might be our love for career, ambition, our hobbies, food, drinks, sex, friendships. We may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe only to God. Then they become gods. Then they become gods demons then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves for mortal loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves they might still be called loves but they become in fact complicated forms of hatred I tell you what you ask an alcoholic do you love drink they say I hate it I hate it When our human loves become ultimate loves, when we give to them what's only reserved for God, our full heartfelt devotion, those things, those things become like demons, things we hate. This is what happened for Solomon, and he's come to the end of his life, this gray-haired old man in his rocking chair, and he's saying, Absolute futility. Absolute futility. There can be all kinds of reasons why someone becomes an addict. It might be that they were abused and traumatized. Quite often that's tragically the case. And it's self-medicating to start with. But it becomes self-destructive. You know, Solomon knew a restless soul. The great Saint Augustine said this, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. Are you, would you say, I, I feel restless? 
I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm fed up trying to find answers to questions. I'm searching. I've been searching my whole life and going nowhere, round and round in circles. Today, God finds you. Today, you can know true rest for your soul. There's not the promise that all your problems suddenly vanish, but you find the answer to the question you've been asking your whole life, maybe without even realizing it. What power can break addictions? What love is greater? I'm happy to tell you we're now moving on to more positive news. And I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that. Even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. And then in chapter 12... Verse 1, so remember your creator in the days of your youth. If you consider yourself young, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Verse 13, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. You need to hear this today. God forgives you. You don't earn his forgiveness. It's a free gift. Do you understand? It's not about you becoming a better person. It's not about you being a good person. He only receives in those who need him. It's no coincidence that it was the most broken, the most hurting, who felt the dirtiest, the most unworthy. Those were the ones that ran to Jesus. Those were the ones that fell at his feet. Those were the ones that loved him. Those were the ones that he loved and received. That's why he had a reputation for being a friend of sinners, because sinners loved him, because he loved them. So if you are here today and you're feeling broken, and you're feeling hurt, and you're feeling dirty, and you're feeling unworthy, welcome! Jesus loves you, and Jesus forgives you, and Jesus heals you. That is what we call God's grace, his gift. And isn't it good news? Here's the encouragement. You can enjoy your work. You can enjoy your food. You can enjoy your drink. These things are good things. And they're best enjoyed by directing the thanks and the praise for them to the creator 
and not making these created things to be gods in and of themselves. That's where it goes wrong. Whether it is eating or drinking, do all things to the glory of God. Amen? That's how we're called to live. And the other thing is this. Hear this, you who are struggling with your jobs right now. Hear this, you parents who are up at 2.30 in the morning tending to a teething child. Hear this. You haven't got a job and you don't feel like you're making any difference. I want you to hear this. Everything is meaningful when done for the God who is the creator. Everything is meaningful when he lives within you and walks beside you. When you know he sees everything. When you are being faced with an intimidating, harsh, unkind boss... And you're thinking, why am I even doing this? I have no respect for this person. And you know, sat with you in that meeting is your Lord and your Savior who hears every word you say and sees. When you're doing it, not for your boss ultimately, but for your true Lord and your true master who rewards you with treasure that moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal, where your treasure is in heaven, kept for you forever. You're able to handle and know faith and courage. And you're able to get up in that moment and know this is infinitely meaningful right now. And I want to speak to you who are young here today. Some of you will have your fingers in your ears right now. And you are the kind of people who are going to have to learn this lesson the hard way. And I, and I pity you, and it grieves me that I know even now there are some sat here today refusing to listen. And only God can open your ears. Only God can open any of our ears, actually. Don't waste your life. Don't get to the end and think, I, wait, I, just, I was living for things under the sun. It was futile. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because right now you're tempted to think that my life is going to be most meaningful by pursuing wealth, success, sex, relationships, by seeking man's approval. Someone says something along the lines of, why seek approval of man? So much harder to please a multitude of masters than it is to please one live for him live for him find your approval in him so challenging so easily led astray we are but he's gracious and he's able to call you back I want to just ask you to close your eyes right now Some of you need to make a response here today, a real response. I want us all to close our eyes because I want to invite individuals to make a response here. I don't normally do this, but I feel led to. If you feel like my life is futile and meaningless, I got stuck, I want you to stand up right now. No one's looking. I want you to have your eyes closed. If you feel that way, 
I encourage you to stand up right now. Please would you honor those people who are standing by not by keeping your eyes closed. This is between them and God. sit down if you've stood. You don't need to remain standing. You've made a decision. You've made a public decision before God. And the Lord would say to you today, this is a new day for you. This is a new day for you. The old has gone. The new has come. Look to Jesus. Put your faith in him.